Welcome to the Pursuit of Wellbeing podcast. My name's Maria Brosnan. I'm the founder of Pursuit and your host for the show. This podcast is dedicated to providing well-being information, inspiration, and support for teachers, leaders, and school staff around the world. My guest today is Professor Dame Alison Peacock. Dame Alison Peacock is Chief Executive of the Chartered College of Teaching, a new professional body that seeks to raise our status through celebrating, supporting, and connecting teachers to provide expert teaching and leadership. Prior to joining the Chartered College, Dame Allison was executive head teacher of the Roxham School in Hertfordshire. Her career to date has spanned primary, secondary, and advisory roles. She's an honorary fellow of Queen's College, Cambridge, and a visiting professor of both the University of Hertfordshire and Glendore University. Her research is published in a series of books about learning without limits, offering an alternative approach to inclusive school improvement. Alison, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have listeners from all corners of the globe. And I think at this time, we're recording this in the middle of March 2021. I wonder if it's a good place to start to see what your view of things are, how how the last year has unfolded and what's happened to the teaching profession, what's happened in schools. What are the pressures that, that schools and leaders are feeling right now? And let's see if we can unpack some of those and, and offer some practical thoughts of what we could do. Thank you. Well, I think I think the first thing to say is that this has been an incredibly frightening time. Yeah. And uh, to say anything less is to diminish the reality, I think. And I just remember when, when the Prime Minister announced um, that we were going to potentially lose some of our loved ones before their time, how deeply distressing that was. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I, I run the Chartered College of Teaching. I've always been in schools. I've most recently been a head teacher. So my instincts at that moment were as a leader to think, what, what can I do to help? How can I help? What would I do if I was in school? If I was in school, I would be reaching out to my community. I would be reassuring people. I would be saying, we'll help you, we'll get through this together, you're not on your own. And so because I wasn't running a school, I thought, well, I can do that. I can reach out to teachers everywhere and to colleagues who work in schools and try to be that reassuring voice. And I've done that pretty much every day since last March. So almost a year of consistently saying to people, well done, this is difficult, but it's going to be okay find someone that will make you feel better, Um, you know, all the sort of things that one would say to one's team. uh, I've tried to do that. No one's asked me to take the whole teaching profession on my shoulders and and, and make make people feel better, but I've I've felt the need to try to do that. And I think that's that's a deeply instinctive need that we have. We, We make ourselves feel better ourselves maybe by helping others. And there are many, many teachers who... That's why they come into teaching. They come into teaching to make a difference. They want to be able to enable their their students, their pupils to feel good about what they're doing. They want to help each other as colleagues. And I think our profession has stepped forward brilliantly in the last year. And there's so much to be proud of uh, about the ways in which people have responded. And they're they're very different ways in which they've responded. But um, yeah, I'm deeply proud of, of, of that fact. 
Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And I've seen you many, many times doing your <laughs> lovely videos of reassurance. And um, yeah, uh, you've you have a wonderful voice in this space. And so, to the to the initial question, then, what do you see are the pressures facing teachers and school leaders now? Well, one of the one of the big pressures, of course, is that they can't make everything all right. I mean, teachers always yeah. want to be in control. Yes. <laughs> it's one of the things that teachers do. They're like a nice organized classroom. Yes. They like things to be sorted out. And of course, this is something that's beyond all our control. Uh, I think at the moment, as as we stand, things feel as if uh, things are getting better. The the weather's getting better. It's easier to be in a classroom with a window open. More and more members of the community are receiving their vaccines. We know that our children, thankfully, have largely been um, haven't been affected in terms of their health by the virus, and more and more teachers will be feeling safer because of, as I say, the, the conditions improving. So that feels good. But having said that, we also need to make sure that teachers aren't subject to pressures around this notion of catching up lost time. We can't we can't recover the last year. There have been so many things that have been lost. There's been family times, holidays, in some cases, weddings, celebrations, all the kinds of things that other sort of landmarks of so many of our lives have been put on hold. Not being able to be together at key times, just last weekend, you know, Mothering Sunday, yeah. not families, not extended families not being together. And however much teachers want to uh, just make everything all right and, and, and bring everything back to so-called normal, they, they can't do that by themselves. And we can't regain that lost time so it's really about how do we how do we reconnect I think these are the real priorities for our profession how do they reconnect with their youngsters in a face-to-face -face way hopefully they've been connecting with them remotely but there's no substitute for actually being in the classroom together yeah. and how do we create those times again where we have a laugh where we enjoy each other's company where all that sort of jostling of being a young child and you know they they love to be rough and tumbling and playing and so on it's been very difficult they've been shut away our children have been shut away and our teachers are deeply aware of all of that mm. so that in itself builds anxiety because we can't make that all right and we can't recover that time and if we're not careful um our teaching community is sort of subject to ridiculous targets about trying to uh, recover lost learning and so on actually there are more important things, it strikes me, than, uh, than trying to recover the curriculum. Yeah, I, I was speaking to um, a head of department last week. She called me to say she, she was just completely at a loss. She just didn't know what to do because she had been set impossible tasks around mock exams and then preparation for different assessments and the, 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 the very rapidly shifting sands of that. And she felt there was no way she could do it all successfully and she was deeply concerned deeply upset what would you say to teachers or leaders that are that are in that position of trying their very best to support their young people but then with these high stakes assessment expectations what could what can they do so one of the reasons i lead the chartered college is because i believe that the profession very often knows best Yes, and too often yes. we're subject to external interference, um, advice that comes from on high. And actually, as teachers, we need to be far more confident about 
responding in the way that we feel intuitively is the right, right way to respond. So when you've got a class of youngsters in front of you, if you don't give them the space to be able to tell you things, they will bottle them up. If, if you feel that you have to follow everything in a very rigid way, there will be some youngsters who will kick against that very unhelpfully. And the pressure that leaders are under is interesting. When just this morning, we've heard now from that Ofsted aren't going to resume full inspections until the autumn, which is great news, except that I would say, do we really need those full inspections to resume in the autumn anyway, actually? Because that kind of hyper accountability that means that everybody's constantly looking over their shoulder is what's at the heart of this. That's what's at the heart of your head of department or your you know, your colleague you were speaking about being worried about. She's worried about um, the youngsters feeling that they've missed out. And the reason that they feel they, they potentially will miss out is because they've spent their whole school career being told by everybody that the terminal exams at 16 or 18 are absolutely critical. These, these this is what's going to set you up or not for life. Yeah. And then suddenly, two years running, that certainty that we thought was always going to be there has, has been taken away which doesn't mean that that's the end of the world at all. I mean, we shouldn't be thinking that exams are the be-all and end-all, except that the whole system sets itself up to believe that they are. And so to say to our young people now, well, it's okay, they're not going to happen, but we're going to judge you fairly, feels like a very risky process for everybody involved. It feels risky for the youngsters, um, supposing they don't have a good relationship with that teacher. Yeah. Uh, It feels risky for the teachers because... Potentially, you know, they, there's a lot riding on them making the best decision they can and potentially being challenged in future by um, parents who want to challenge the results. You know, there's a lot riding on all of this. So it is very stressful. And I don't think it's enough for the Secretary of State to say this year we trust teachers, not algorithms. It's a very snappy little phrase. Yeah. And kind of on the surface, well, what's to disagree with? Of course, we want to trust teachers. But the reality is because the uh, qualification system is so high stakes, because this is about um, opening doors or not to our young people, to ask teachers to do this without a formal framework in place of moderation and assurance that they're able to make sure that the judgments they're making are reliable and are you know, open to scrutiny is a stressful process for everybody involved. And I hope it works well. I certainly hope it works better than last year's debacle with the so-called mutant algorithm. The reality is, of course, there's always been an algorithm because we allow a third of our youngsters to be told they've failed every year. Most parents don't necessarily realise that, but that's the reality in our system as it currently stands. So there's a lot that's wrong with the current system. Mm. And while we're craving a return to the way we were before the pandemic, I think there are some things that we perhaps don't need to return to and that we need to think about. And some of the things that we were doing before the pandemic were the drivers of anxiety, great um, stress amongst our young people, but also amongst our teachers. And the attrition rate of teachers, teachers were leaving in their droves prior to the pandemic. At the moment, that's that's kind of steadied off because, of course, the job market is is quite problematic when you can't go anywhere. Mm. But... um, those issues are were underlying issues that needed to be addressed. And maybe just now is the time to do that. 
you have covered so many areas, <laughs> Alison, in that short answer. Oh my gosh. They're exactly, exactly. There are so many areas that we don't want to go back to that are complete stressors for young people and teachers and, and leaders. So you said that teachers should be more confident in their abilities and in their judgments, if I if I'm quoting you correctly there. Is that enough? If I'm a head of department of a large secondary school and I believe that things should be this way, but it's against the tide of what my head teacher believes, how do I be confident? What does that even look like? I'm not calling for a revolution. I think what I'm calling for is greater professional uh, responsibility, if you like. Mm -hmm. And the way that I think that we build that is by understanding much more as a collective what good practice looks like, how we're working together across schools. We need to learn from each other. We need to be buoyed up by each other. And instead of uh, teaching being a blame game, it needs to be an opportunity for everyone to support everyone else. Mm. That's not currently the system that we have. We, we currently have a system whereby schools are labelled, very publicly labelled. When I was a head teacher, my school became an outstanding school. If we'd had an inspection and they decided that it was no longer an outstanding school, that would have been career ending for me. It would have, I, I would have just felt full of shame. It would have felt absolutely devastating. Now, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty fundamental in terms of well-being. So having such a high stakes system that is so competitive, that is based on being the best compared with someone else, being ranked against others in league tables, whether you're, whether we're thinking about the school system or whether we're thinking about individuals within classrooms, there's an element that of competition, which is uh, an energizer that people really like that drives them forward, but not when it becomes such that the stakes have become so high that to feel that if you falter, you completely fail, that then becomes a very, very uh, sort of damaging prospect in mind. And it leads to, I think, a sort of a conservatism in terms of a lack of innovation, a lack of uh, freedom to act, uh, feeling that they're, they're, you, know, you need permission to do things because this is all about making sure you stay within the parameters of being successful in terms of what other people think. And what happens then if we're not careful? You know, education should all be about new ideas. It should be constantly moving forward, constantly being reframed, constantly being reimagined, because that's the whole lifeblood of what it means to be educated. It's to engage with new ideas and to reevaluate and to reflect and to constantly wish to improve. So if we have an education system that stalls because it's, it's, uh, it's like a rabbit in the headlights, which is, I think, where we were, Mm -hmm. then that's deeply problematic and it's very divisive. So some schools are in a position where, you know, they're not going to be inspected, they're left alone. Other schools, on the other hand, are feeling they're being inspected every five minutes. Mm. It leads to a very difficult uh, system in which to flourish as a teacher. Mm. You said that, um, you know, should full inspections return in the autumn anyway, is that level of hyper-accountability helpful What's the alternative? So I think the alternative is peer review. I think the alternative is to is to make sure that every school is only as good as its weakest link, i.e. 
should we be judging schools on the quality of provision that, that is made for our youngsters who find it very difficult to learn? Should we be looking at the breadth of the curriculum offer rather than just taking a narrow sort of basket of measures in terms of the success of the school? I think there's, there's uh, a lot to be said for schools working together and helping each other to improve their practice as opposed to schools being judged one against another and it's 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 nuanced but it's really powerful I don't think um, that any school leader would say they shouldn't be accountable of course they should because you know it's public money and parents want to know how their youngsters are getting on but actually I think the the you know, politicians will often say, "Well, we need to have we need to have a, a, an inspection authority because this is the way that parents feel they can know that the schools are good enough." I think parents judge their child's school on much more much subtler things. So, do they feel welcome if they phone the school? Do they feel welcome when they come to visit? What is their child like when they come home? Does their child skip to school in the morning? Do they want to be there? Are they interested to talk about some of the learning that's been going on? Do they feel as if they are successful as learners, regardless of where they are currently in terms of their development? You know, all of these things are really powerful indicators to parents about the quality of the school. And how much does the school uh, diversify and support other members of the community. All of these things are really appreciated and known, and they're less quantitative measures, but they are very powerful qualitative measures. And then, of course, alongside that, of course, you want the children to do well when it comes to sitting examinations that will affect their futures, but not necessarily being tested every five minutes and then being, you know, anybody who's been a parent who's got a youngster who's going into school and they've got a spelling test even that day will know that unless that child is really good at spelling that could be an awful day of the week until we've got over it you know so I think there's a lot more we could do we could improve the system still further the majority of our schools are good and outstanding anyway in terms of mm-hmm. of the uh, inspection outcomes and there will always be a small a very very small minority of schools where there are safeguarding issues where things go very badly wrong and we would need to have a regulator but I don't think we need to have the inspection system reinstated in the autumn in the way that it was before the pandemic. And what would you say to a head teacher or leader that's listening to this, you know, because you, you've come up with some incredibly practical, sensible uh, answers, you know, ideas around that. So is that even optional? Like, what, what do people do? How do, we, how do we change this system now? Because it feels like such a ripe opportunity to, to implement some real meaningful change. Well, yeah. So when I was a head teacher, I took the school from special measures to outstanding. And then we were outstanding several times. And in fact, I had nine different inspections in the time that I was a head teacher. So I've been through this a lot of times. And I talked about how I would have felt if we'd dropped down from being outstanding. But from the position of being an outstanding school, given that we'd been given that title, I tried really hard to help people see that there were other ways of improving schools other than the traditional um, holding people to account, monitoring classrooms type approach. The the approach to improving schools that, that is about coaching, that's about listening, that's about professional growth, that's about developing colleagues, that's about... Um, understanding those children who find learning difficult and doing more to support them. So leadership based on equity, that whole learning without limits ethic that that we've written about in, in the books around how to lead in this way. I think there's something really powerful about 
being less worried about the inspection result and more worried about the well-being of every child within your organisation and every member of staff. So, do you know, actually, it's within the gift of the profession to, for us to just say, well, bring it on then. Come and inspect us if you like. But actually, we, we've got we've got bigger fish to fry. We're, we're, we're more worried about whether our community is thriving or not than we are about what you think. And actually, come and do a better job if that's what you want to do. <laughs> so... Um, but but having said that, you know, it's it's very hard because when you are the one who is just, you get the phone call, they're going to come and you want to do the best you can. I mean, of course you do. Yeah. It's like anybody else. If someone said they were going to come and look around your house, you if you'd got time, you'd have a bit of a tidy up. Not that I'm suggesting there's anything wrong with your house, but, you know, there's a kind of professional pride yes. that is to do with wanting to do your best and wanting to do your best on behalf of the children. And at the moment, everything feels as if it's um, do or die. It, it gets that level. And actually, I've had conversations with the chief inspector. This is not about me criticising Amanda. I think that actually her perspective would be, well, schools that are, are doing a great job have got nothing to fear. But the reality is, however great a job you're doing, there are always going to be things that you're going to be worried about. I remember thinking, when whenever an inspection team left the school, I just remember thinking every time, oh, well, thank goodness we got away with that. They didn't see this. They didn't see that. <laughs> Yeah, because that's human nature, isn't of it? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it sounds, <laughs> sounds like a lucky escape, Alison. I, I doubt that very much. <laughs> so what do you, in the Chartered College, one of the uh, tenets of that is to amplify the voice of the profession. So what is that voice and who are we amplifying it for and for what purpose? When I trained to teach, I did, a, I did my degree and then I did a year's um, training to teach at the University of Warwick and then I was straight into the classroom. There are many, many teachers who, for whom that is all that, they, that they're expected to do in terms of a professional requirement to be able to say, well, you've trained, you've got your degree, now you're going to learn, if you like, intuitively, you're going to learn from your colleagues. What we're doing as a professional body is to say, yes, that intuition is brilliant. We have wonderful charismatic teachers, but actually charismatic teachers who are also informed about the latest thinking related to how the brain develops, how we're learning more and more about how children uh, remember things, how they um, develop in terms of their understanding, why talk is so important, why, uh, you know, why all kinds of different pedagogies may make a difference. This kind of professional understanding is something that we believe teachers should be engaging with throughout their career. And we, indeed, we, we, we've begun to develop a chartered status for teachers, just in the way that you have chartered accountants and chartered engineers. Why not have chartered teachers? So that parents would be able to understand that, you know, if there's a chartered teacher that's part of the community within the school, then this is a school that's really um, engaging with the latest thinking. So I, th I, I believe all of that is really important. Uh, when you, when prior to the pandemic, I used to get into lots of taxis because I was traveling all over the country talking to anybody who would listen to me really about learning and all sorts. And taxi drivers have a, a, a great kind of finger on the pulse in terms of what's going on with schools and what's going on with teachers. And I think too often, if we take the taxi driver as a kind of voice of the general society, their view is teachers had a tough time because kids these days are difficult. But they didn't necessarily see teachers as experts, teachers who were able to talk about 
um, research and theory as well as practice. And I believe that the more that we can articulate not just what we're doing, but why, and why we've come to certain decisions and why we believe certain actions in the classroom or within the school are going to be really beneficial to children's learning, the greater our knowledge will be shared and understood more widely in society. It'd be wonderful at some point to be able to get into a taxi and the taxi driver <laughs> starts to talk about how um, research-informed the teaching profession is. That would be a very different conversation. And also politicians wouldn't then feel so confident about wading in amongst all of that. So there is something uh, around the professional voice, which is, is linked very much to knowledge, expertise, experience, Currently, there's there's a little bit of a sense of anybody can do that job, can't they? Um, anybody with enough energy could do that job, um, and anybody who can raise their voice loud enough. And, and of course, absolutely not. There's so much that uh, a teacher does in the number of interactions they have during a school day. If you think about working with that number of youngsters, and each and the trick of being a teacher is that you're you're standing in front of the class, but actually every one of those youngsters believes that you're communicating directly with them while you're speaking, whether it's a look that you're giving, whether it's through body language, whether it's through acknowledgement of something that they've said previously. Now, that's quite, that's quite a skill, uh, but it's very poorly understood. Maybe, this, maybe the pandemic will have helped. People sitting at their kitchen table with two children may have been pulling out their hair and they think, oh, how could anybody do this with 30? Maybe that will have helped. <laughs> well, it will certainly have shone a great big light on the, the work that teachers do day in, day out. And it's interesting you say the, the professional voice of teachers that's often not, or, or of the profession, I should say, that's often not heard by, you know, the Secretary of State or the department, and they feel quite free to wade in with unsolicited ideas. And that's been, you know, I've worked in education for such a long time now, and, and that's been such a common theme over a number of secretaries of state. And what will it take for the professional voice to, to rise up? And I'm not talking about a revolution either, but I'm just talking about a unified voice to say, hang on a minute, we know what we're doing here, as you said at the very beginning of the, of the conversation. So... The difficulty is that the, the teaching profession is not just one voice. There are multiple opinions about absolutely anything that you can think of within education. True. Yes. But we're not a union. So the unions are very much there to support the paying conditions and working rights of teachers. The professional body, however, uh, has the capacity and already as the Chartered College were able to do this to scan the horizon in terms of what does the evidence say. So just last week, for example, our research team pulled together evidence around what, what do we know across the world about the length of the school day, the number of days in which young people attend school and how this impacts on attainment. Mm -hmm. And we were able to pull that together and send that across to the Secretary of State just last week and also to the Shadow Secretary of State for Education. Mm -hmm. Now, unless they've got a research team who are doing those kinds of things, which they won't have because the resources just aren't there, they wouldn't have access to that kind of evidence. And so when they're thinking about what are we going to do next to try to support recovery post the pandemic, they're going to rely on a conversation they may have with somebody who might have strong opinions. They're going to perhaps rely on what they think um, the party will agree with. Uh, maybe they'll have received some letters from parents and they'll be swayed by that. But they won't necessarily have actually had the capacity or the time to engage with the evidence. And the evidence pretty much says that there isn't anything that um, 
suggests that by lengthening the school day, you improve the quality of the attainment of the youngsters. There is something to say around um, providing food for children. So children who come in earlier and get breakfast um, are more likely to be able to learn because they are, you know, they've had some nutrition, which is helpful. But that isn't to do with the fact that they've arrived at school earlier, necessarily. And there is something to say about the school facilities being available for things like sports and the arts and those kind of organised activities, which could be helpful, but no direct correlation between that and ultimate um, attainment. And if that's what you're looking for as a politician, it's quite useful to know that that kind of information. So those kinds of um, those inter interventions that we can make to try to help decision making be as, as wise as it possibly can be. As a politician, why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want that kind of help? Uh, it feels to me as if that's, that's, that's going to make good policy. So I think this will take time. And obviously, it will take time for the Chartered College to grow and to be somewhere that um, politicians will turn to, that teachers will join automatically. But We've only been going four years and I'm already sensing that we're doing something really quite powerful and quite important in this space. So, yeah, let's see where we are in 10 years time. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's very obvious that the work that you're doing is is being really taken notice of. So as we start to wrap up, Alison, what do you think in terms of well-being within a school setting and just for staff, not necessarily for pupils, where does well-being sit? Whose responsibility is that? It's a question I'm asked all the time. I'm curious to, to, to your answer. Well, I think it's everybody's responsibility. Mm. So there's something um, around the culture that's set from the leadership team. But actually... Uh, you know, if you've got colleagues who are negative the whole time and you've got too many of those colleagues and you spend too much time with them, it's incredibly exhausting. So trying to find people who build you up as opposed to knock you down, first of all. Um, but a leadership team that really values colleagues that they work with and who value themselves, I think, is really fundamental. And this is something we're trying to model ourselves at the Chartered College. We're working on making sure that we don't just talk about these things for other people, but we look to ourselves first. It's the same with the diversity agenda. We're trying very hard to say, what could we do? Uh, what could we do to improve our own practice um, before we start telling everybody else this is what, <laughs> what needs to happen? And essentially this is about, it's about listening, it's about building trust, it's about recognising that uh, people work in different ways and are, are able to perform well in different ways, given different um, opportunities. Uh, so we're not all the same. All of these things are fundamental. It's much, it goes way beyond providing bunches of flowers that you put in the staff room. You know, this is, this is about a way of being. And, and essentially, I would say, is about a culture that's, that's prepared to listen and prepared to listen to the inconvenient truths as well as the, um, as well as the comments that make you feel better as a leader. Uh, it's, it's, it's trying to take everybody with you. And that is exhausting. And then there's something else about how do we help those leaders who are trying to do that job of taking everybody with them because you will never get it right. You know, it's never finished. There's never going to be the day when you can just kind of say, right, great, I can go home now. I've done it all because it, yeah. it's, it's never going to be that because you're working with people. So where are the support networks that head teachers can find for themselves, whether that's informally or formally? How do we make sure that everybody is in a way, given informal supervision so that they are supported as they try to support everybody else. And it's very much, you know, teachers are the people that parents will come to, children will come to, colleagues will come to. And, you know, that transference is something that's very real. And 
if we don't give teachers somewhere to place that, then that comes that becomes very problematic and leads to burnout, which maybe that's what's at the heart of, of the high attrition rate that we were seeing prior to the pandemic. Workload and not being valued and feeling you're not doing the things that make the difference. I think those are pretty toxic. Definitely. And and I've been having conversations with um various people across local authorities and some very big local authorities saying that they're concerned about what might be coming down the line as um, as heads that have been holding their schools and communities together so powerfully this year are at the end of their tether because of exactly the the pressures that you've described coming from all angles and and what do we do to support them and one thing I would think is expectations you know, what What expectations are we laying at their feet that they solve all of these problems for everybody and the growing the growing list of, of tasks that they're being asked to do? And yet, you know, one of the things that, that is so life-giving about being a teacher is that children, every day is a new day. They will have been absolutely delighted to be back in school. And there's something really energy-giving about that. I mean, the job is exhausting, don't get me wrong, but it's also full of joy. Yes. And, and I know there are going to be, in every day, there are going to be encounters that are less than perfect <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, maybe very, very difficult. But there will also be others where someone comes up and grabs your leg and says, you were the best teacher ever, did you know? And <laughs> the fact that, you, you know, they, you're, they're the only head teacher they've ever known is irrelevant. It still feels quite nice. <laughs> um, so, but I agree with you that I think we, if we're not careful, we have to be really loving to our current set of leaders because they've gone through so much they've done so much for the country actually and they deserve our recognition and our support going forward and you used a lovely word in there Alison joy you know the joy of of teaching and being in the school and uh, and I would urge people to seek those moments <laughs> as much as they possibly can as a counterbalance to the pressures that they're feeling right now mm-hmm. as we wrap up is there anything else you'd like to say I think there's a lot of um, worry at the moment around well-being and mental health and so on. And it strikes me the best thing we can do is metaphorically hold on to each other and listen to each other and enjoy being with each other. You know, those are all the things that we've really missed over the last year. And those are the important things. I think if if anything, you know, that we've learned from this is that we had to stop for a while and really consider what really matters in my life, because maybe... Who knows what's going to happen next? And I think that realisation will have been a universal realisation for so many of us. And we just need to listen to that voice and remember those important things, much more important than pleasing Ofsted. And I just wanted to refer to just a couple of words that you said earlier about the importance of um, cooperation rather than competition. And and it could be a really great time to, to reset that uh, as well as we all come back together in new ways going forward and we've seen great examples of that in all kinds of ways across the country um and i think people have realized the benefits of that so let's hold on to it yes absolutely yeah thank you so much i've been speaking with professor dame alison peacock you can connect with alison on twitter at alison m peacock and at Chartered Coll, and both of these will be in the show notes. Uh, the website is chartered.college, and an email address you can reach is hello at chartered.college. Alison, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Now, check out our website, pursuitwellbeing.com. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And if you feel inspired, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I love getting your feedback and learning how we can improve our program.